2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. The episode that you're about to hear is actually not a new episode. It's an episode from way, way back. And it is with my guy Hui. It's his first episode. But we have found that there's a lot of people who haven't actually gone and listened to the first season and have missed out on some of these amazing stories. And so we picked some of the ones that haven't been downloaded as much to highlight them because we just like want people to hear these stories. We're just re-uploading Hui's episode. So it's a bonus episode. Uh, But if you haven't listened to it, please listen to it. If you have, send it to a friend. Man, there's so, so many amazing stories of God just taking people from death to life. So, um, love y'all, appreciate y'all, uh, and right after this, you're just going to hear uh, the episode and how it was originally recorded. So, thanks a lot, y'all. Peace. This is real talk, God is loving on me Colorful and innocent, that's on me Got me standing in the light and it's on me It's a new heart, it's a new beat It's a new thing, it's a new seat It's a new thing, it's a new dream It's a new heart, it's a new beat and Got me singing like Mom. Got me singing like I had, I guess we've been on a group chat for over a year now, but this is probably our first time having just a conversation, you and me. And I've, I feel like without the beer, you're the most interesting man in the world. I don't, I, I don't know your story at all, <laughs> but is the correct term a b-boy you were once a b-boy or you are a b-boy or oh my gosh uh, no, I, I just um 
Give me the give so, me the intro, bro. Who are you? Yeah, yeah. Or who give me all were the, you? All hats. You want the hats? Yeah. Right. Who were you? Um, I I've been uh, a, an aggressive inline skater. I've been a snowboarder. I've been a martial artist. I've been a drummer in a wedding band. I've been uh, uh, what else? I've been a professional DJ. I've been uh, uh, world traveling b boy. I've been uh, I produced in two thousand six. I produced one of ten of the biggest breakdancing battles in the world. Like what? I launched, yeah, I launched the careers of the guys that when you type in the word breakdancing in YouTube, Red Bull modeled their entire infrastructure off of the events that me and these like three other dudes did. What? Like, yeah, like, uh, what else? Um, I have given Maya, the R&B star, a hug and helped her get her stage performance in order i've My, it's been a little kids won't know that i i know who that is i've been doing a lot of random stuff man like um yeah like i've worn a lot of hats i've worn so, a lot of hats when you so was this kind of out of high school you're just you have this different kind of speed uh, you're just like oh i'm gonna do this or i'm gonna do that like how did how so did i Organized start. sports didn't work for me because I'm five four. Okay, <laughs> it didn't work, so Doesn't I had to happen. figure out other stuff to do. Right? Sure. Um, I I grew up, like so. I'm first generation Vietnamese, Chinese. Right? Actually, my mama's Chinese. My my mama's first generation Chinese in Vietnam, and then she, yeah. Anyways, so first generation Vietnamese, uh, Chinese, and when I came, when my parents like came here, their whole goal was to get me educated. And mm -hmm. the, because the percep their perception was if I spent time amongst my own people, right? Mm -hmm. the I would fall into what they were witnessing was happening to young kids that were first generation Vietnamese without an identity, without like Vietnamese like surrounding them and like lost in a new country right it was just they just started it was just they were just violent gang kids right, right? like so asian kids i don't know you know like, like asian asian gangs are the most ruthless crazy next to like mexican kids that i've i like like i've ever experienced like it's just like brutal like wild you know senseless because it's you know it's kids that don't they're one generation removed from war right yeah like and so uh my parents moved into a very vanilla neighborhood and put me in a school full of only white kids so, where, so where was this where like you're this was in portland oregon so your like, parents from vietnam my parents my parents my parents met in a refugee camp in thailand my mom came from what would be the highest upper crust elite wealth in vietnam her 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 father was in the gold and diamond distribution business so he exported and imported gold and diamonds in and out from indochina to mainland china so they were like they had five servants growing up there my mom had five servants catering to her every need 
like Mercy. from the time she was, yeah, like it was just wild. And then my dad started working when he was like eight and he comes from the poorest of the poor. And the only reason they ever was that the war took everything away from everybody and they ended up in a refugee camp together. And my dad looked at my mom and was like, that's the one and made friends with my grandma. Like, and that was his way in. Like he was like, that's the one. I'm gonna make friends with the grandma. And like my grandma and my dad are still like really, really just great friends to this day. Like, and so my mom then came to the Lou's who came to Louisiana and settled in New Orleans. And my dad had an uncle in Portland. And my dad wrote letters to my grandma, badgering her to marry my mom off to him. And she was like, This is a good look. You should do this. And my mom agreed. What? Yeah. And, and so, so they ended up in Portland. So they end up in Portland because of the uh, fortitude of your pops. And he was just yep. like, this is going to happen. And she's yep. like, well, if you, you want me that bad, let's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. do it. He's, he's a tenacious, funny little man that looks like a giant baby. And my mom is like, <laughs> stunning. and my mom is stunning. Like my mom and all of her sisters are all like stunning. And my dad looks like a 65-year-old baby. The lesson is, as always, persistence pays off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of amazing. And so they get to Portland. What is their, like, belief background? Or what is their, yeah, what is their... Uh, uh, Mom Buddhist gave up Buddhism to marry my dad, who's a Catholic. And became Mm -hmm. converted to Catholicism. And he's just a Catholic just because, like, that was his family back in? He grew up, yeah, he grew up in Catholicism, yeah. So his mama, grandmama, et cetera, Catholics. So converted by the French. Was he heavy in, like, there's Catholics that go to, well, like, they go like, to mass so, once or twice a year? Or was this, like, a mass? No, like, so, the, so if, you, if you look at, like, Indo-Chinese Catholic culture, like, Indo-China Catholic culture, so Cambodia, Thailand, like Vietnam, right? Uh-huh. Like um, Catholicism is super duper simple in its manifestation. You go to church because church is how you stay out of hell and go to heaven, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. very, very straightforward. And I mean, you get used to it and there's the foundation of it is fear. And so my dad went to church every Sunday, but I could like, he, he knows absolutely like you couldn't talk to him about scripture because he doesn't know anything much. It was all from the Eucharist and like everything in everything in Catholic is all like moving through the same patterns and the same like, like you know, so like, yeah, like so he's so still Catholic by tradition. He's, he's still, still, he's still, yeah, still Catholic, like still Catholic. Was um, it, did it seem hard? Have you heard if it seemed hard for your mom to give up Buddhism? Uh, like Buddhism is kind of this, like practicing Buddhist. Again, a lot of this is just grounded in culture, right? Like even like, like my grandma's a practicing Buddhist, like, but like, you know, like how deep is she in the actual theological understanding what she's practicing? I don't, I don't really think it's that deep. Like, I think it's, it's tradition, right? Like, so this is our culture and you don't want to lose your culture, right? So you're trading one culture for another culture. And like, that's what the sacrifice is, is losing cultural identity, but not necessarily like 
like, could you defend Catholic theology or like, can you discuss why you believe that you're leveling up by meditating every night and then you're eventually mm-hmm. going to return to the one energy source? Like, nah, like they're, they're not thinking that it's not that deep, right? It's a simple people. And so the evangelism that happened for any religion in those regions is very simple. Man, that sounds, it sounds kind of familiar. To be honest, like I I wish it didn't, but I see, yeah, it's not too far off from, from what I've seen before in, in some of the circles I'm running in. So they're in, they're in Oregon. You come along uh, and the culture in your family, I'm going to guess, I'm going to go stereotype on you. Is just hard work. Is that hard work? Yep. Like you eat fast, you can get back to work. So from the beginning, was this just kind of ingrained in you? And and what what did that what was that like? Um. So it's funny, right? Like my dad is an artist. Like my dad is a musician, and my inclination towards music was nurtured up to the point that it conflicted with my education. Hmm. Like, so this could be a hobby, but it can't be your job. Right. Hmm. Like, and so the focal point was always education because education would produce work that paid better. You would get and you would level up to white collar. Right. Hmm. Like, and so the hard work wasn't like, in the, you know, it's not like, like, do your chores, like, do your laundry, clean the house, help us cook, like, help, you know, get a job so you can put food on the table. Like, the, the focal point of the call for working hard was always to educate yourself. Let us, my parents, like, and like, I mean, you talk about work ethic, like, they kept calling me to put my face in the books because one day I would be the first doctor in their family or, but as I was watching them, my dad worked, uh, he, he got a job soon after he got here in social services. And so he, he's been at the social, he's been working for the government for like 30 plus years. So he would do that from eight 30 to five at five o'clock. He'd come home, wind down for 15 minutes. And then the first students for music lessons would show up. And this was five to six days a week The kids would come over, the parents would bring them over and they would learn how to play the piano, the drums, the bass guitar, some other random instruments that he, that he, because he was a musician. So he mm-hmm. taught music lessons from five 30 to like eight. And then at eight he'd eat. And then my mom would pack all of us up and we'd go do janitorial work five days a week, like until wow. midnight. And then we'd come home. Right. Like, so work, like work ethic was actually by observation versus by what they were encouraging me to do. Like, cause you know, like I'm a, I was a C, C average student. Like I, school wasn't my jam. Like I was an, I've been an entrepreneur since I was in you know, fourth grade, but like tra- the traditional education system wasn't my thing. Like, you know, and that also makes sense because literally every single 
uh, every single family member on my mother's side owns this, owns a business and is, is themselves an entrepreneur. So it's in my blood. Like my grandpa was an entrepreneur. He was in the diamond and gold business. Right. Like, and so nobody, there's no doctors in the family. There's no precedent. There's art and there's entrepreneurship. And that's actually my composite, which is art and entrepreneurship. Like, cause I'm a dancer, right? Like yeah. I'm a DJ. It's art. Right. And then I'm also like, I've been hustling since fourth grade. Like I made my first money in fourth grade. Damn. I made my first money in fourth grade because I had a desire for more music. I didn't have enough money. My parents didn't have enough money to buy me the CDs that I wanted, but they bought a CD burner. And so I'd buy one CD, burn multiple copies of it, convince kids at school this was the new hot thing, and they'd buy it off of me for $5 a copy, and I'd go buy more music and repeat. The bootleg king. I was the bootleg king in the schoolyard at elementary school. Mercy. So you said you were a C student. Your your parents, the values that they had would push more to working hard and hustling than like, did, did they kill you for for not getting A's and B's or what was that like? Uh, they didn't understand enough about school to really weigh in on my performance. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I mean, like they, the English was a second language for both my parents. They just it, like were constantly like, this is what you're going to do. Right. Like they labeled me this before I was even born, like that this was what he was going to accomplish because they couldn't do it themselves. Right. So their aspirations for me were like very noble, like, and it was in like, it was, you know, but like the way that it manifested itself was very um, destructive in the sense that like, this isn't who I am. So I have a choice. I can either comply and be miserable or I can rebel and figure out my own way. But in rebelling, my rebellion was destructive in the sense that the intention was to prove that I was worthy of their approval and love my own way, not their way. Like, so when did so, that start? Oh, that started when I was like 14, 15. Like, I was a skate kid, right? Like, I was a skate kid. Like, and and so, like, you know, I was like, I don't know. Like, um, let me, uh, uh, when it actually manifested itself, um, I was in pre-med doing biology at a private Catholic university that cost 20 Gs a year. Mm -hmm. And I was literally like, this is the most boring thing ever, right? Literally the most boring thing ever. Like, how can I make some money off these students? Right? Like, that was really what I was doing. I was like, how can we, like, how can I set up and get some bread so I can go and do what I want? And I couldn't figure it out. And so I was like, ah, I'm getting to business school. See what that's like. And so I transferred to business school from biology without telling them. Like, so that was step one. Right? So it was very incremental rebellion. Right? But it was like, it was like still rebellion. Right? Like, transferred to business school. And I was like, ah. Like I'm racking up all this debt being here. I'm just going to dip from this school and transfer schools. Right. So I transferred to the, like the state university that was like 20, like, you know, 20,000 for private. It was like $3,000, like mm-hmm. $5,000, something like that. Right. Like mm-hmm. the school transferred there, 
didn't tell him any of this stuff. And then told them finally by like the time I was close to finishing my degree. Right. And then like told them that and they were like, what? <laughs> like, and I was like, yeah, I'm graduate. And while I was there, right. While I was there, I was like, that was when I first started producing. That was like, cause this is ultimately like, if you get to know me, what you'll realize is I'm an opportunist and the opportunity presented itself because uh, uh, this this radio, this like local college radio dude, knew that I was a a, a b boy, and uh, and he was like, yo, like a, you know, and it, this was when like hip hop, like eighties, like eighties transitioning, and then you know, hip hop was just like a, like the thing, right? Yeah. Like, and uh, this was like you know, Slum Village time, like like this was like the, anyways, like Common, like anyways, like yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, like so there was that that sound at that point in time and uh and like they were like oh yeah you're a b-boy like we should do like a, a b-boy battle right and i was like yeah dope and they were like yeah we have two thousand bucks we can like give to you to produce i was like two thousand dollars to ching and so my head immediately went to like how can i take this two g's and just stretch it out right mm-hmm. how can i how can i make some coin off this two g's Right. And so I started plotting and I produced my first event on college money and netted like, I think it was like quadruple that on the campus. Right. Like, so like I didn't get to keep all of it. Right. Cause it was college funded. So they kept all of it, but they paid me a fee. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, okay, dope. There's something here. And so all like, you know, I was in marketing, like I was like taking marketing classes and mm-hmm. all that stuff at the time. I was in like, adver- like I was on the advertising track, all this stuff. And I was like, all this information is just kind of like, un- like useless to me because it's unpractical. It's all like mm-hmm. up here and it's completely not tactical. And I was actually learning more tactical stuff by taking this money and trying to multiply it by producing something that people were very interested in. And so by year three, this was like, like this was my graduation year. This was my graduation. No. Yeah. Yeah. This is my graduation year. I produced the final one on their dime and they had upped the budget to, I think like five grand or something like that. But at that point in time, I had learned how to, I had learned like, cause Red Bull had started sniffing around. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were like, Hey, like we're, we're looking to get into culture marketing. We're looking to leverage culture to sell our sugar water, uh, caffeinated sugar water. Like, and I was like, dope, like how much money you like, you know, like you know, you want to sponsor this, like how much money you want to throw at me? They threw 10 G's at me. Right. Mm. Like, and so from that 10,000, I produced an event that brought in 3000 people and we flew in international, like the top, like, like the top competitors from like the globe for this event. Right. And that was when I discovered, I, I printed, I discovered the value of media. Right. So I, I recorded the entire battle. This was before YouTube. Mm-hmm. And this was the, my transition into working with Red Bull was this was, this was the emergence of YouTube, right? Like we filmed the entire battle and I printed a double DVD and I sold $30,000 worth of that double DVD. Wait, hold like, on. Let, me, let me go back real quick. You said earlier that this was about getting affirmation or what, 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 what word did you use from your parents? Like this was about proving that I was worthy of their love and respect, but doing it my way. 
So they had right. success for you in mind this way. And you were like, yeah, I'm going right. to prove that you can love me by having success, but in my way. Yeah. And it's, it's, it was tied to the dollar amount because they don't actually understand what it means to be a doctor. Like I, I do, I shadowed doctors to see if this was actually something I wanted to do. I did not want to be a doctor. Like the, the, the nature of the work, right. The nature of the work is totally foreign to them. They actually, the only thing they know is that doctors make over $120,000 a year. And the word DR, the letters DR in front of your name means respect, right? But they don't actually understand what it, what it takes to be a good doctor. A good doctor is built. That's a gift. Like it is literally a gift to be a good practicing medical, anything mm -hmm. like hospitals are where hospital, like, like the hospital is where like, you have to have the deepest senses, like sense of care and mm. empathy for people. Like you think my head was in that space? <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, like my head, I saw people as dollar signs back then. Like, and, and you and, thought that the success, like you're like my parents. So if I could like replicate a hundred, if I could replicate 120 K, I'd get the same love and respect. And if I could do it my way, and I could prove that it was sustainable, right? Then I would get, I would, I would have said, look, I did it my way. Like, like, am I, are we good? Is, the, right? is, that, like, is that true? Like, wait, is that true from their perspective? Do you think that would really work? Would they nah. actually respect you or love you nah. more because of that? Nah. And so the, like, so like, because they were taught, like, I mean, this is, like, you really want to unpack this. Like, the number one thing that Asian kids deal with is their parents tying their own self-worth to their children's performance. Oh, mercy. Like, if you want to talk about, like, Asian, like, self-worth as uh, parents is tied to their children's performance. So if your child performs, you have something to talk about in your inner circles with your friends that makes you look good. So where does the kid's self-worth come from? The self-worth comes from they actually get their parents to... Nah, because you know what happens is my brother played the game. He's a dentist. He's a successful one. And he played the game. He bought a house before he had a kid. Like, he did everything right, and he still doesn't feel it. Because it's never enough. Because yes. all that is sand. Like, it's never enough. All of it is sand. Like, and then resentment grows and grows and grows. So that even when my dad in his, in, in the softness of his old age, tries to love on my brother, right? My mm -hmm. brother rejects it because of so much scar tissue that's been built up over the years of him doing everything right and never receiving the thing that he believes he deserves. Does your father feel value because he gets to talk about your brother being a dentist? They ain't got no friends no more to talk about nothing with. Like, they're going to talk about with family? Nah. Like, they, this is like, a it, huge lose-lose, man. The, the way you're yeah, describing it's like, it. Yeah, it's like, like, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, like, Asian families in Asia, right? Like, when I go and visit my cousins and stuff, they might have troubles, but they're still family. Asian families in America that have bought into the American dream, coupling with, coupling with, like, the disaster of, like, like cultural Chinese, like materialism and like 
Vietnamese like conservativeness, like driven by Catholicism, is a melting pot of depression and sadness. Dag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you have you have a lot of Viet dudes, you have a lot of guys my age that are millionaires and depressed. And the a root, lot. The root of all of this is is the sand. It's, it's the sand. The sand. Like it's sand because it, it's sand because they forgot how much they loved me just for existing as a baby. That because of their environment and the messages they bought into, my worth to them changed as I got older because I wasn't performing because their environment was putting pressure on them to be able to say something about me to validate their own self-worth. Like, yo, it's sticky, downhill, terrible slope. And so it caused this rebellion in you to the point where you're like, you changed to business school and you're doing successfully, you know, you're, you're putting on these productions and was it, how was it, how was, how were you dealing with it? Well, I, I mean, this is the thing is that like the pursuit, this is the ladder that leads to nowhere. Right. And this ladder requires that you step on people's faces to get up there. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and so in my pursuit of success, in my pursuit of whatever my definition of, of success was, right. Like some random money metric, right. Like, you know, while still being a cool kid and having the respect of like the cool kid community, like, you know, I was, uh, I mean, relative to my folks, um, like, they could never explain what I did. And so they stopped talking about me. Like they stopped talking about me and I became more and more of a black sheep. Like, and in my black sheepness, my relationship with them deteriorated. And I started looking at them with the same, with a different type of resentment than my brother does. Right. Which is he did everything right. Why, why, why does he still feel this the way that he does? And I'm like, I did everything wrong and I don't care. And you know what I mean? Like, and like, you know, it was just like, Y'all like, I'm just going to keep doing me and I'm going to get further and further away from you guys. And I'm good with that. Like, and in my pursuit, in my pursuit, the gifts that I was naturally imbued with were being perverted in the pursuit of self. Mercy. Like, and in that perversion, I was riddled with anxiety like in the sense that like my mind could never settle and I didn't have peace because nothing ever was enough. Right. And so that pursuit led to the need to medicate. Right. And Mm. so, and the need to medicate was like copious amounts of weed. I got alcohol for free when I started DJing. So I drank all the time, Mm -hmm. like, and, uh, women and just, you know, like it was just, it it was just what, whatever, whatever can medicate that anxiety until I could climb that next step. Right. And then it would just, the cycle would just start all over again. And I didn't even realize I was in a cycle. That was like, I was just like, Oh yeah, this is how people live. Cause everybody around me was doing it too. Random question. Does your brother have kids? Yeah. He has one. He just had a baby. 
do you think his when he reaches back to raise his kid, there's only one thing that's going to be there from experience. Do you think this? Yeah. Or do you think yeah, he'll yeah. fight back For against sure. it and do something else? Nah, like, nah, because he's only, he only has one, he only has one picture of what it's like to be a parent. Right. Right. Like, and so he's going to, this is the thing that sucks about being in the matrix and trying to improve it right is mm-hmm. it's incremental improvements when what actually needs to happen is you need to get sucked out of the machine like because like that's like trying to fix broken software like it's better to just have working software like this, this is some gospel right here dude <laughs> just you got to die yeah you got to like, die to the matrix yeah like you have to get out so incrementally improving what my parents, what he thought my parents did wrong is still going to mess his kid up because they're wired. Like I, I watched my brother and my sister-in-law and like they are wired for performance. Hmm. They're why wi- they're hardwired for performance. Just like I was, it's just manifests itself differently. Right. Like it meant like for them, it was follow the tried and true path. For me, it was make my own way, right? But it's still performance. Still, still, the decoupling of for for men because I'm a man, I can speak to this. The coupling of performance to worth is literally toxic. Wow, it's toxic when you couple your value to what you can produce, you are only as good as your performance. And that's, and it's, and so this is the thing is like, I never realized it was illogical. Like it's actually illogical because a baby can't do Jack. And I got two of them and they, I love those babies. Like I love those babies and I would die for those babies. I got two of them. They can't do anything. They throw uh, up they on me. They probably can't play the violin. They can't do anything. <laughs> One of them pooped on me this morning. And it was smelly and gross, and I love that child. He is absolutely incapable of anything. <laughs> like, like, other than, like, his fat cuteness, he's incapable. And, like, it's illogical that I would say, why can't you put on your diaper? Like, why can't you wash the sand off yourself? Like, why can't you go to sleep on your own? Like, and then tie that to how much I love them or how much they're valued to me, how much of value they are to me. That's insane. It doesn't make any sense. So you're, you're, you're medicating, you're, you're, you're out of college and you're starting, you get in onto the hamster wheel. You're, mm-hmm. um, there were some ups. There's probably some downs as far down as your ups were ups. Talk me through that. Um, I have been a serial monogamous and every single relationship in the early stages, the butterfly stages, the, the honeymoon stages Mm -hmm. was wonderful because organically I was giving without asking anything in return, but every single one of them transformed into 
a physical body to pacify my anxiety. Hmm. Like, so that was one thing, right? So I literally trained myself over a whole bunch of relationships to eventually get a divorce if I ever chose to get married when my flesh could no longer be satisfied on demand by the person that's supposed to be my partner for life. Step one, right? Money. Every single thing, every dollar that came in, like every dollar that came in was like there was always a trail of people that I used behind it. Like, so every relationship that I built always had the motive was always, how can I leverage this person? How can I build a Rolodex of people to leverage them for personal gain? There was never a relationship or interaction that I didn't see my own ability to take advantage of that relationship to gain, right? And so I looked at people that I had nothing to gain from as worthless relationships. And I got really good at building impactful connections, like for my own person. Like, I mean, for a kid that like, I'm, I'm Vietnamese, like I'm a 5'4 Asian dude that comes from an area where the majority of people work in rice fields, like, and are, it's like, it's a poor country, right? Mm -hmm. Like I found my way into bottle service clubs where they were selling half a million dollars in alcohol at night and were willing to pay me $10,000 price tags to play other people's music. Like I, and the only way that I did that was every single person I learned how to leverage and look at people as every single person only could, you're either going to help me gain something or you're absolutely not going to be a part of. Did, right? you, like, did you know this or was it now looking? No, uh, I kind of knew it at the time. Like when, you know, there's a couple of things that have been like heavy on me. Right. Like, so, you know, like I kind of knew it at the time. Like I had one of my best friends, best friends still still to this day like jump out of the car with me when he found out that i asked him to do a gig for free when that gig was paying and i kept all the money for myself that was the beginning of it and then the there was other homies yeah like there was other homies where i literally young homies that were like trying to come up and like learn the game and like really looked up to me well, I would literally just be like, yo, you're going to go out and put up posters for this event that I'm doing. And you're going to do it eight hours a day for a whole week for free. Like, and then when the time came, like, and the coin came in, none of them got a cut. And I got, and like, like one dude finally was like, I'm fed up. I'm done with this. I'm out. You're, you're an a-hole. Uh-huh. Like, and I'm like, I'm out. Like, and that was like, I was like, oh man, like maybe I'm like an a-hole. Like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little bit of an a-hole. Like, um, but you were like, but but I'm making this bread, so yeah. But I'm making this bread, and I'm and I'm building, I'm building because it wasn't like the bread wasn't really it. It was me, right? Like, I am going to be somebody. Like, I am going to be respected by those that I respect, 
And the way to do this is to climb. Right. And so the bread was like a consequence of it. And yeah, it's great to have that. Like, but like, it was always about like respect. It was always about earning respect and like, and like building my image, my avatar to be something that was worthy of people talking about. So what about the relationships? What was the problem in your mind? Because you had, you've had all these relationships, they all ended in failure. Whose fault was it back then? Uh, it was like, so this is the thing, like the dissolution of all of my, like when it's, when we talk about like my, like my like relationships with like women, the dissolution, the falling out, the breaking up, right. Was always them saying, I've had enough. Like I've had enough of you. Right. right. Like, and like, whenever that happened, I was like, ah, you know, like, I, like the first girl was like, yeah, I was broken up for a bit because I just couldn't sort out my feelings. But every girl after that was just like, I got stuff to do. Like, and so it was just, it, I, I was not training myself to love a wife. Like, I did not know how to do that. What I did know how to do was make girls fall in love with me. And then when That's they got what, angry at you, you'd figured out how to not feel bad about it. Yeah. Like, and when they were out, I was like, like, it was okay. Right. Like, so, I mean, like, I think like all of this trajectory, just surmounting over time, over years of building and building and building. And I was, you know, like I was burning out. Right. Like it was like, like from DJing for $50 a night, and throwing parties and making you know thousand dollars a night here and there to like making a hundred grand a year playing other people's music mm-hmm. like i was done like i was like up till four o'clock in the morning four or five nights a week red-eye flights it was awful like it was a terrible lifestyle it was like unhealthy right mm-hmm. and uh and uh like all of this led up to me meeting my wife now because I wanted to do a f- just an event for fun that went back to dance, right? Like mm-hmm. an event for fun that went back to dance. And I met her at the event. And like, that was when, that was the beginning of the transition. And it was the beginning of the transition because she then became a catalyst for me meeting God. Like, so yeah, like, but all of it kind of just mashed together right like the old right yeah like uh, it all mashed together and it all built itself into a body of habits that naturally produced stress and anxiety like i could not like the way that i was practicing life could not produce peace it only could produce stress and anxiety so I'm going to ask you the same question I just asked you a few minutes ago. You're experiencing all this stress and anxiety. Did you know it? Did you know, like, or were you just like coping and this is what I'm going to keep doing? Yeah. Uh, in the uh, moment, did you know, like, I'm going to burn out? I got to get out of this. Yeah. And so my medication for that burnout was to go back to a simpler time. So mm-hmm. dancing without money, right? Dancing without dance for the sake of dance, throwing an event for fun, 
Right. Like that was like my, and then like weed and sex, right. Mm -hmm. Like weed. And like, that was like the, you know, and so I had medication, bro. Like, so there wasn't like a conscious, right. Like the, cause I was high performing. Like it wasn't like a conscious, like maybe there's something wrong with my life. Right. Like I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't doing that. Like, I was like, huh, I wonder if I should examine what, how I'm living and how, whether or not it's destructive to my being. Like that wasn't happening. Like you know, I was like, let me just smoke Medicaid. this blunt and like I'll be fine. Right? right. Like yeah. Like nah. Like and uh and so it was it was medication and uh yeah it was it was medication. Like that was that like yeah there was never a time where I was like conscientious of the way that I was living being like awful. Yeah. For me. Right. Yeah. If, if, if you're going to take like, cause this is the thing like, I, I, like I'm a marketer. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I think of every in terms of value exchange. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about that like that. And since ever, this is how I got anywhere. It was just thinking about value exchange. If I have more value to give, if I have some sort of value to exchange with you, I can get something from you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so the, the, the transition, right. Like, so be like just being constantly in that mode like i didn't have time to actually examine like what the like this thing that i was like orchestrating and building and habitualizing was doing to me right like because you don't think about that kind of stuff like you don't think i have a problem so you meet uh bb your wife you meet her at just a gig that you're just like, yo, I need to kick back. We're just going to do this dance. You meet her. Um, what's different about her? Oh, I couldn't figure her out. Like, so this was pre her. Mm -hmm. Like ah, she, she, she had like, she was like, hey, God is real. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, she had not started walking. Mm hmm that simple belief that God is real. Cause she didn't really know who God was. She just believed that God was real. Mm -hmm. Like, because she had seen a transformation in her stepdad's life. So she was still just, she was, she was still, and she was all of her and all of the trauma that she had been through that led, uh, like, I mean, just like she was just, she was her old self. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was my old self, but, um, I couldn't figure her out. I couldn't read her and it was magnetizing. Like, so because it's like, this is the thing, like I'm in clubs, like, like it was my job to professionally read people. Like mm -hmm. I got really, really good at reading people. I could mm -hmm. literally manipulate the emotions in a room by mm -hmm. figuring out the exact thing to play next. Right. Like I was, you know, that was my job. Mm. And, she like wasn't that like, i couldn't read her and so i was like who like you know i remember like how i hit on her too it was just like it was crazy i was just like i like she was like wearing this crazy outfit and i was like i ran up to her and i was like that's an amazing outfit bye and like ran away right like mm -hmm. i was at, i was like it was my event and i remember seeing her at a club later and i was like who is this human being like this mm -hmm. is just, like i and if you saw my wife now and like you saw pictures of her back then, you'd be like, what? You look like a character in a film that Spike Lee made, right? Like, <laughs> like, uh, and, uh, and so I remember just being like, cause I'm, 
I was just blunt and forward. I just, just was like, I think you're fine. Like we should hang out. And like, she was like, yeah, here's my number. Right. And then like, now we're married. Right. Like <laughs> that's um, all she wrote. Yeah. Like, um, but the story goes, the story goes. So we, I moved to LA, right. Shortly after I met her, I moved to LA because that event, cause I couldn't help myself because that event that I met her at became mm-hmm. wildly successful. So I took it on the road and I, and then I was going to pitch it as a television. I was going to pitch it as a reality TV show um, in mm-hmm. Los Angeles because so you, uh, sorry, uh, America's best dance crew just wrapped. Okay. Like, and so we were going to pay, we were going to, we were going to build the collateral and we were going to, we were going to pitch it. And so I moved to LA, set up shop there and uh, the hustle continues. I got a five bedroom apartment for myself <laughs> and I rented out every single room in the apartment and I lived rent free. And so I was in LA living rent free, uh, hustling a TV show and, uh, and networking with all these dancers that now were like building, you know, millions of followers on Instagram and YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she came down, hated it. Like, so we were there for a year and so now you guys are like a thing, like the, like we're a thing. Like, okay. and basically what I found out was like any new television producer, any new television, like pilot show thing like this, I would have to give up my rights to it. Like in order for it to get produced. And so my, my return, my, the equity stake that I'd have on it would be like, maybe like 10%, maybe most likely it'd probably be like one to 5%. So like one to five points is the most I would retain on the rights. And I was like, eh, like, I kind of don't want to do that. And you hate it down here. And that would force us to stay here for another, like potentially five years, right. As like showrunners, like, and so we were like, eh, let's just give this up and go back to Portland. By the way, hustle me kept that five bedroom apartment and kept Airbnb being it for eight additional years. And it produced us cash for like eight extra years. I had an apartment in LA that I didn't own that like I was Airbnb until the landlords found out and started doing it themselves and kicked me out. The hustle's real. (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, and so we moved back and like, we got this apartment that we couldn't afford in downtown Portland. And, um, she, reconnected with her family and she and her, her dad and mom invited her to a revival like a, a bible camp and something in her was like yeah let's do this and i was like <laughs> that is dumb like what are you doing like one of my best friends is a uh is, is christian brother uh his name is Darrell, and he literally to this day was like you don't remember all those times where i almost stopped being your friend because you were an a-hole because i was because i was christian and I was like, no, he's <laughs> like, like, really? Cause there was a lot. Um, and, and yeah, I was just mean. Right. Like, but she, she went to this camp, came back. I'm going to have to interview her and find out, uh, what was, I'm sure you have, the, 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 I'm, I know you have crazy charisma, but how much the charisma that you have, like made up for the, you being a jerk side of yourself. <laughs> Dude. Like, yeah, a lot. Cause I'm, I'm a, like to this day, like if I get grumpy, bro, it permeates a shake it very, very quickly now. Like uh-huh. thankfully, because I know who I belong to and who I am, yeah. but like, yo, like, like if you're talking scale of one to 10 on just being a 
jerk. Like my flex is hard 10, <laughs> like, like, like hard 10. Um, yeah, I'm just mean. Like, and so she comes back and she's all like, she's like, yeah, I gonna do this Jesus thing. Right. Like she heard a word and she gave her life and like, she was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And, um, and I was like, that's dumb. You're smarter than this. Therefore you're being dumb. Like this is for stupid people that need something to make them feel better when they could, they it's for people that don't know about weed. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, like I was like, you can just smoke. Like it's fine. Right. Like, like, and so, I was like, this is so stupid. And I was way meaner than that. Um, but I remember she was like, look, like, I'm not asking you to become a Christian. I'm asking you to figure out what you are. Right. Oh, mercy. And like, yeah. And I was like, sounds like you're asking me to become a Christian. No, thank you. Like, um, and so moving along, you know, a couple of weeks, like her folks started praying for me her she was praying for me like because basically it was like either you figure this out you actually look for yourself or we're going different ways right because the path i'm on is very very far away from bottle service like and so i was like whatever like i was home alone this is this is this is the testimony right i was home alone and I was high and I was looking out our big panoramic window that we couldn't afford and uh, a light was outside. And then all of a sudden it was in my apartment. And the only thing that I can describe it as was it was pure power. And it was so powerful that I started crying profusely, but I wasn't crying. It was just leaking out of my eyes. And the weight of the power put me on my knees and my face and my hands were just prostrate on the ground. And then words came out of my mouth that were not my own. And the words were make them love you and trust you and then bring them to me. And then the light was just gone. The words you heard were make them love you. Love you and trust you and then bring them to me. And then it was just gone. And I stood up and freaked out. I was like, ah! like, like freaked out. Like she comes home and she's like, what? She, uh, she, come, she comes home and she's, uh, and I'm like, Hey, this thing happened to me. And she's like, it sounds like you were visited by the Holy spirit. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Uh, but yeah. And right. You know, and like later on, it was like, uh, there was a, a, a church member that was like, that is, that's not the Holy spirit, man. It sounds like you were visited by Jesus. Like, and I was like, uh, yeah, right. Like, and then I read the story of Paul getting kicked off a horse. And I was like, oh, that kind of happened to me. Right. Like, but I had a choice at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and that choice was figure out what that was, that insane thing that just happened to you. That wasn't a result of the weed you were on or ignore it. And I, it was too, it was too much to ignore how did you decide that it wasn't the drugs? Uh, because I was sober instantaneously. Huh. I was, I was immediately sober. This is why I don't leave the drugs out of the story. I was immediately sober. 
Wow. Like literally when the, the presence was gone, I stood up like I had never smoked weed. Right. And I was like, what just happened to me? Yeah, it was gone. Yeah. And so I, I, I looked like for the first time in my life, I looked after leaving the Catholic church at 18 and telling my parents, I'll figure it out. Like I actually looked and I looked at atheism and I looked at agnosticism and I looked at all of Judeo Christianity and I looked at, you know, like I looked at the, the Eastern, like Hinduism and Buddhism. Like I looked at all of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is what's interesting is this, I, I, I didn't like, like, like uh, there's a, a, a Indian brother that describes it really well. It's like, if you're looking in a big bowl of blue marbles, his name's Sabood Panda. If you look at a big bowl of blue marbles and you see a red marble, you're going to try to figure out what that is, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be something unique. The red marble was Jesus Christ crucified. Hmm. Every single other system that was presented to me was due in order to get, hmm. right? The only one that reversed it was Christ on the cross, which is, look what I'm doing to get you. Mm. Right. So every system, Buddhism, Hinduism, like all different sects of Islam, atheism, agnosticism is just impractical. Like agnosticism is like, I don't know, which everybody's agnostic, but then you live halfway over here, like you're an atheist and then halfway over here, like you're a Christian and halfway over here, like you're a Buddhist. It just doesn't make any sense. Like it's just a really impractical way of existing. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. And then Judeo-Christianity, right? Like Judaism was like, I got to do in order to be. I got to do in order to get. And then there's this this carpenter that claimed that he was God and did in order to get me. Like, And it was just the reverse. And here's what I realized, right? I was like, transformation only happens transformation doesn't happen as a consequence of fear and as a consequence of failure because if i'm trying to do to attain i have already experienced in my life what it's like to fail to attain it produces guilt it produces shame it produces stress it produces every single negative emotion and it's inevitable but when somebody gives you what you did nothing to ask or deserve you didn't even ask like you did nothing to deserve, like, and it is the, a gift that gives, like, gives you a second chance, right? Like, the natural emotion that's produced is gratitude, hmm. and gratitude creates change. Like, when you are grateful for something, when you get us, when you're pulled over for speeding, and the cops like, I'm gonna let you go, man. Like, just don't do it again. You stop speeding. Now, here's the philosophy before. You stop speeding until the habit kicks in and then you start speeding again, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but you're so grateful to that cop that you try to not speed anymore. So I lived my life. So the transition of doing moved into Christendom, which is I'm going to try to be good because Jesus was so good. Right? I'm going to try to be good. Like, and mm. so. So how long ago did this happen? When what year was this? When you when this, you see the light in the the window of your over this was five years ago. This was yeah. This was about five years ago. Like uh, yeah, that's about right. Five six almost six years ago. 
I, yeah. So you go on the journey of really trying to do good. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I became a student of theology, right? Like, I was like, who is this person? Like, what does he want me to do? And, and it, it was what I discovered was good theology, mm-hmm. right? I discovered very, very sound or like, you know, like sound presentations mm-hmm. of scripture. And then it created a lens in which I viewed scripture mm-hmm. and the lens. What I didn't realize was the lens was no different. It was a transference of my old way into just a different bucket or a different context. Right. Like I was still doing in order to be like, and that isn't actually, that isn't actually what, that isn't actually what I was created for. Right. Like, and so, uh, you know, journey and journey and journey and like excited, excited that God is real, excited mm-hmm. that God is good. Like, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm still, a, I'm still me. Right. Like yeah, he's pretty like, good. It's like, I call it the, the okay news. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, that's, like that's solid. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's great. I'm still me. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm really glad that he's great. Like, but I'm still me. And, um, moving along, like, it was like, it was all kinds of crazy stuff, man. Like, like there was all kinds of spiritual, like warfare stuff that happened. Like, I mean, th- like without diving too deep into it, man, could dive deep into it, but, um, hey, you man, know, the journey, tell, tell the story. If you want to tell it, man, it's good. If it's good. Uh, so, the i think what is important what i mean you know this is about dying to self right like i was baptized but i didn't know what dying to self meant Hmm. like i didn't understand that like when something dies it doesn't come back up like right that that would be a zombie and zombies are made up like so i didn't understand that like and so people don't understand that. And that's why they yeah. bring up that verse at the end of first Corinthians, where they talk about Paul dying daily. Yeah. It's still like, pe- giving people trapped up. Yeah. And I think like this, that idea was taught to me and it was verified through poor interpretation of scripture. Right. Right. Like, and it, but it was also validated in my existence in my day-to-day existence, my lived reality, right? Like, like, I was like, oh yeah, like I am still kind of a piece of crap and kind of a jerk. Like, so I must need to die daily, right? Like mm-hmm. I must need to go and repent of my whole person every single day so I can hopefully make it to the end of the day without being an a-hole to somebody, mm-hmm. right? Like, or without doing the things that like I thought I used, you know what I mean? Like yeah. without going back, like, and, um, and then, you know, I, uh, uh, a mutual friend of ours gave me the gospel and it was like, oh, this was the thing. Like we were just talking about this, right? Like it wasn't a big revelation for me where I was like, <laughs> right. It wasn't like that. It was like, oh, that actually makes sense. <laughs> like, like that actually makes sense because it didn't take hoop theological hoop jumping or like 
this massive like like six hour unpacking of an idea for it to just land, which is God. Like here's, here's the incomplete gospel. You are a sinner in need of a savior. Believe in Jesus who died on the cross for your sins, or you're going to hell. That's an incomplete gospel. The complete gospel has to answer the question why. And the why is so simple. And there's so many freaking crazy theological hoops that I've seen from the Calvinists, like, like the ad, the Adventists, the bad, there's so many that are trying to answer this. Why? And it's so simple. You're his kid and he loves you. That's the why. That's, That's the, the why. gospel. The why is you're his kid and he loves you. It doesn't need to be anything more than that. You're his kid and he loves you. That's why he paid off a debt you were never meant to owe. And if that's the case, who am I? Who do I belong to? Right? And when I realized that, it broke everything. So we always talk about it like we don't deserve it at all. That's part of the gospel is we don't deserve it. And then you think about it. And you know what? My kid deserves stuff because he's my kid. Yeah. yeah. Just like, for the fact that, like, yeah. when we say we didn't even deserve heaven, what my daddy lives there. Yeah. Like, I'm in the family. Yeah. Like, and, and this is the thing is that it's, it's, there's this like mixing, right? Like, this, like, 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 why shouldn't we deserve? to be what we were made for. Like he designed, like he designed us for with intent. And that intent was twofold. And it's so simple, right? To love like him and make things. Oh, wow. It's so simple. Make things and love like him. Like, why would we not deserve to be the thing that he made us to be? That doesn't make any sense. But if you position yourself, if you are positioned as something lesser than what you were designed to be, you can believe all kinds of nonsense. We were, we were designed for two things to love like him and make stuff. <laughs> it's too simple, bro. It's so simple. And you know how infinite those two things are? This is, this is the beauty of practicing heaven on earth is that I can hang out with you Right now, the way I plan to hang out with you for potentially a million years without any time passing and make stuff and love each other. And the possibilities are endless. You know what's so interesting about like the idea of laws and commandments and, and, and statutes of limitation is that they are very finite. Like we don't think about it like that. Like the Ten Commandments, there's ten, right? Hey. You have heard that 
And it, you heard that uh, 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 commit adultery is to cheat on your wife, right? Yeah. But I'm telling you right now that if you even think about another woman in that way, you're committing adultery with her in your heart. You know what Jesus didn't do? Is he didn't just pretty simply say, like, but you can love your wife any way you want. Want to bake her cookies? Go for it. <laughs> want to bake her a cake? Go for it. Like, want to buy her some new pants? Go for it. Like, you could literally do a limitless amount of things to love your wife. Just don't do this one thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we, like, it's like me and you can literally hang out and make stuff. And like, we are fulfilling our ex- like design. Like, it's so simple. And I didn't get it. And then when I got that, it totally decimated the person that i had built because the person that i had built right was built on doing in order to be talk to me about the how you like i think you're mentioning the main idea that got you to see the gospel but how did that come to place and how like you said it was very simple what was the idea or the thing that you're like oh this is radically different than how I've thought about it before. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, like God, first and foremost, doesn't see me as a sinner. He sees me as his kid. And that was so, the beginning. Yeah, yeah it, that was it. That was, that was like, it, it, it positioned me. Like, so that twofold and the idea that I am such a terrible piece of crap that I need to grovel in front of my dad every single time I messed up when the debt that he paid is past, present, and future, the parable of the debtor. Yeah. That's for me, right? Like your daddy forgave you a million bucks because he's rich. Why are you walking around like you're in debt? And so you shake people down like they owe you something. And even though you have the legal right to it, you've been forgiven of everything. Why did he forgive you? Because you're his kid. Like that, that was it. And like everything became so simple because this is what it unlocked in me and why it was like, it was, it was like, Oh, and the immediate thing that happened, right. Was, Oh, everybody's his kid. And Mm. the only thing that sets them apart from me is they don't know they're his kid. Mm. and that he loves them as his kid like they don't know it that's the only thing and so now everybody is postured in the exact same way as he postures me this thing of forgiveness we don't understand it sometimes when i used to believe that the only people that were forgiven were the people that accepted forgiveness So I thought that all of these other people had access to forgiveness, but they didn't know that they had access to forgiveness. They don't believe that they're forgiven. And then I thought, yeah. Then I realized, oh, hold up. The entire world is forgiven. Not because they asked, not because they accepted it. They were forgiven because blood was spilt. Yeah, Jesus's blood was spilt, and so he does not count their trespasses against them. 
does everybody have salvation? Well, salvation does come by belief that that actually happened, that Jesus's blood was spilt, that he was the son of God and the one who sent him is Yahweh. Okay. Yeah. But forgiveness has no, there's no strings attached to forgiveness because it happened 2000 years ago and it's for everybody. So all of our sins were future sins when Jesus forgave us. So when we accept that forgiveness and then we do something stupid again, it doesn't, it was, it was all a future sin in the first place. Yeah. The debt's still paid. Like your balance is still zero. Right. Like, and, and this was the thing that was like, so here's what happens. Like, so God is finite until you understand the gospel. Like, Hmm. Like when you understand the gospel and you understand what actual what actually the grace, right? God becomes bigger than you can imagine. Like it, he becomes, like I mean, think of like you, you, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, what? Like, like is is done? Like, like past, present, future is done? Like, and I don't have to do anything? Like, this seems too easy for everybody this seems beyond my comprehension. Like, and then you get the why and it's just like the stamp. It's like, okay. Like, I like you are the way, like you are like, this is the truth, right? Like this, like the way, like the way the truth and the life becomes so visceral right becomes so incredibly visceral when you realize there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from him like the only thing that can separate you from him is if you believe that you're separated from him and act accordingly right? but nothing like like it's belief right like and so if it's reduced down to belief i can't do anything there's nothing I can do. And if I can't do, it is the greatest gift possible. The devil just pulls tricks all along the way because he likes to just add these little things. He's just like, yeah. it's all about belief. Mm, but this shows that you don't believe if you're behaving this way and then it goes back to your behavior. And we just, yeah. we're, we're so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I was talking to this cat yesterday. And we were talking about salvation and we were talking about a friend of ours who was behaving in a way that it was just wrong. And I was just like, but if that dude believes he'll be in heaven. And so we're going back and forth on this. And I'm just like, bro, it, he says it in John six, he's never going to cast you out, bro. He says, if you believe in him and the one who sent him that you've already gone from death to life. Your behavior might not show it. You might know, not know that to be true, but if you be- and so we're arguing, 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 not arguing, just debate, it was a friendly conversation. And then at the end, he was like, Rich, man, you know what I love? I'm like, what's up? He's like, you really believe that God is just that good? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. man. Yo, yeah. so have you ever heard of a book called Atomic Habits? I've read it, yeah. Okay, so what's his name? Yeah, so it's it's, you know it's pop psychology, but the the fundamental building blocks are 
uh, if you set a goal, right? Like, so if, if you want to lose weight, the, 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 the natural way that the human bot, the mind moves is set a goal. I'm going to lose 20 pounds by February next year. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's the not like, but and then he makes an argument for, but the actual key to this, not the key, the actual, the next step is actually more important than that goal setting, which is how am I going to do it? Like the process, right? right. So I'm going to set my shoes out and go running 30 minutes a day, every day at six o'clock in the morning. Right. And I'm going to eat only keto. Like, so you have like a plan, right? Mm-hmm. When he makes an argument for the fundamental key to the entire thing is identity. Mm-hmm. Right. Why? Because if I believe I'm a fat guy, but I have this beautiful process and I lose a hundred pounds and I set my goal and I meet it, the minute that stress comes my way, I'm rich, I'm reaching for a Big Mac and candy canes. And who eats candy canes? Why am I saying candy canes? Like like junk food, and I'm gonna eat until that feeling goes away. Like, because that's how I've always pacified that feeling, because I believe I'm a fat kid. Mm. Right. But if I believe I'm a runner, I behave like one. Now, I don't believe that I'm a B-boy. My identity is not first and foremost B-boy. When it was, I practiced without needing anybody to get me to go to practice and work out for four hours. Like, you can't get me to the gym now, right? But like when I believed I was a B-boy, I trained because there was a point and an intention. There was a purpose in that identity, right? Yeah. So. If you are, if your identity first is rooted in something that isn't your actually your actual identity, you behave that way. The attack, the deception is always going to be grounded in who you are. Like the game starts for the enemy, the deception game starts for the enemy and making you believe about yourself something that is not true. Like, and then from there, everything manifests itself. So what God did was he just tackled it out of the root. He's like, you're my kid. Watch how I prove it to you. Yeah, man. When he was talking about your healthy habits, he's like, you don't, you can't want to eat healthy. You have to say a healthy person does this and I'm a healthy person. Yep. And I'm a healthy person. And my identity and Tyler and I joke about this all the time because uh, basketball, you know, we used to compete a little bit in basketball. And if he would lose, he would say, well, it's only like six or 7% of my identity. And it's like <laughs> 85 to 90% of your identity and you barely beat me. So <laughs> what does that mean? But like my identity was I'm a ball player and I wasn't, I was okay. I wasn't really great, but I would look down on other people that played basketball that didn't own it like I did and have their identity. And I'm like, yeah, this is who I am. And this is what's going to, you know, da, 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 da. And it, I mean, the transformation, I, I, I kind of hate to think it's, oh, it's just identity. It's just identity. But it's what the enemy uses because the only thing he's really great at is lying. Yeah. Like, so this goes all the way back to your point about belief, right? Like that you can believe this. You believe that he's so good. You believe, right? Belief is the beginning because belief dictates action, right? If you, if you believe anything, you act accordingly. This is why, like, like we're judged by our works because our works are based on what we believe. 
Like, so if we believe about like, and this is what's so interesting is it's subtle, right? Like it's, it's, it's kindness when it's inconvenient. Mm. It's, it's putting somebody who like, you know, for me, right? Like homeboy sitting across from me is a tattooed skinhead probably in his fifties. Right. Just looking sad. Mm-hmm. And God is like, I want you to stop and pray for this man. And I was like, I'm going to be late to a meeting. And he's like, pray for this man. And I'm going to be late for a meeting. The whole, just the whole train ride into downtown Portland, pray for this man. And finally he gets up to go and God was literally like, thump, go pray for this man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fine. And I got up and I went and prayed for him. Right. Like this was before I knew who I was. Yeah. Like, but in getting up and praying for him, like I got the opportunity. Like, I mean, like, like we're still journeying together. This brother, like just spilled, like just literally spilled out everything that he was going through. Like, and I mean, he was actually a skinhead. He was actually an ex con. He was actually still addicted to meth. Like, and God was just like, yeah. And then now, like I recognize like, it, it, like my journey with him and it's still going is like, because God wanted me to call one of his kids home. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, anyways, like, yeah. Like the, the whole fight is about belief. The whole fight is about belief. And it starts with what I believe about myself. And this is the thing. Everything is subjective except for God. Hmm. Every belief about ourself is subjective except for God. Like, cause we can't, like, if you reduce it down, like, you know, this is so simple. I'm either the son of something or I'm the son of nothing. Right. Evolutionary theory says I'm the son of nothing. Hmm. I belong to no one. Theism, Christian theism says I belong to God who made all things for two purposes, to love and to make stuff. That's powerful, bro. So you've been, since you under, how long would you say you've understood this gospel and this identity of, of a year and a half. being his kid? A year and a half. It's last February, 2019. Yeah. For me is January, 2019. We, we just kids in this mug, bro. Yep. And, uh, has it, <laughs> this is a stupid question. Has it made an impact on your life? <laughs> it has. So it's not, it's not a stupid question because this is what people want to hear. Like, so I'm wired for value exchange, right? Uh Like this value exchange is incomprehensible. You get everything for nothing. You get literally the keys to the kingdom that last forever in its perfect form in exchange for doing nothing. Because right? kid. Yeah. And so how does this manifest itself in my life day to day? Um, see if I can break this down clearly, right? Um, the peace that is manifesting itself in my everyday life mm-hmm. is hard to it's hard to describe 
Like, but what I can say is that my mind, the, like, so my body, right? Like we look at like the, the, the human mind, like my, my mind was designed to spend a short amount of time with you and habitualize the natural ways that you receive love. Right. So like, like the, like the grooves, like, so, you know, it's like, like the, the, the neurons firing for like rats that are running through a maze for the first time. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, they're trying to figure everything out and then it settles down once they figured out the route to the cheese. Right. In the same way, when we move to a new city and we're trying to find our way home, it takes a couple of times before we're, we're all automatically like, Oh, green sign, turn left house there. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you start being able to listen to the radio and turn off Apple maps. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like those grooves in your brain, like mm-hmm. we were designed perfect. Those grooves in my brain were designed to make me love an infinite amount of people easier. Like mm-hmm. those grooves in my have been trained for 30 plus years to do dirt and take, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that, the natural consequence is the opposite of what I'm supposed to feel, which is peace, love, like patience, like all the good stuff, right? It was literally the opposite. Those grooves are being rewritten faster than I could imagine. And so the heaven that is supposed to come, the heaven that we're supposed to be waiting for and longing for is coming into my life progressively every single day on a foundation that cannot be shaken, which is I'm a, I'm a son. Like, so every little, like the little stuff, which is where it really matters, the little stuff, it's starting to get overwritten like every single day. And the speed in which it's being overwritten is insanely fast, right? So not only am I like at a foundational level of peace and joy and happiness, but the elevation of it Mm-hmm. As the other side declines, is crazy. The speed in which it's happening is crazy. So what once would have destroyed my whole day, like some stupid thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I wasted, you know, like today, I wasted four hours when I had a bunch of work I had to finish. I wasted four hours trying to get my phone fixed at Apple and they, I couldn't get in because COVID and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, and then I came home and like, bunch of stuff happened with the kids and the the like like basically it's just like like what what like really snaps me is when multiple things start to get out of control mm-hmm. and like i i got like you know i was like frustrated i was like look i gotta retreat for a little bit that would have lasted till tomorrow mm-hmm. like and i would have been pissed at everybody and nobody would have known why because it was an emotional thing that i had learned in my youth like it, like it was just a thing that I've been nurtured since I was a little kid, right? Like to, to feel that way and to express it that way. 20 minutes out, done. Like, because what did I, what was I able to say to myself? Eh, sons don't act like this. Mercy. No Mercy. Right? Like sons don't act like this. Why are you doing this? Like, do you, does your wife owe you something? Nah, you have everything you worried about. Go play with your kids. And I was out of it in 20, you know, 20 minutes. I sat down. I was like, oh man, my list is crazy. And then God was like, what you worry about? I gave you this job. Like, oh, cool. He's like, just move it to Monday. Finish it and finish it well. When you're on a fresh head, go play with your kids. That was good. So when you uh and BB were first dating, first married, um, I would guess that you wanted to love her. 
but it it probably was whack. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I it's the same thing happens every time, right? Organic. It's amazing because I'm giving without seeking anything in return. And then as that train, because you don't know how to sustain that because you're not willfully sustaining it because mm-hmm. you're not conscious of your design. Mm-hmm. You believe you're something else, right? So I wasn't mm-hmm. conscious that I was designed to willfully be able to sustain this to the point where it becomes habitual and the grooves are nice and deep. And I just love my wife without thinking about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't like, and so it was run on this organic newness train and then it dipped off like always. And then I started to take and feel some sort of way when I didn't get. Mm-hmm. And now we good. Like we're tired parents. And we are filled with joy. Like, straight up. Like, she, I mean, I, I, like, without speaking for her, like, she's on her second baby. And everything that she is, like, so my wife, her gift is to discern the lies of the culture. Huh. Like, her gift is to discern the lies of the culture and speak the truth to those that have bought those lies and need to hear the truth the most because the lies have not given them what it was promised. Right. And so everything that is being sold to her and that has been sold to her her whole life in post baby world, post baby number two, her body looks different. Like everything about her composition is different. She's tired. All of those things. Every single lie the culture says you need to be back in like in perfect physical condition and you shouldn't be looking this way. You need to take like all this stuff, right? Yeah. Like, but the truth is, she's stunning because she's a child of God first and foremost, and she's a really, really good mom, an incredible wife, and beauty. Beauty is in the is is is. I would say it's not subjective because if God says you're beautiful, you are right. Right. Like, but like all of those things, she, she like she, she was thinking of she today. She was like, I was starting to feel like all this was I'm in a bikini because I'm in Hawaii and I'm starting to feel it. And then she literally just casted it down herself. Mercy. The ability to cast down the lie and step away from an emotion that is produced by that lie, whether it be a whisper in your ear or something that you bought into when you were seven, right? Becomes, it's incredible because you can literally just say, but that's not real. And you're, it's backed by the blood of Jesus. Wow. That's literally not real. How do I know? Because God died and was resurrected. And there were 500 people that saw him walking around. It's too real. Yeah. It's too like real. Five people saw him walking around in the case. 500 people saw him walking around. So I must be his kid. Because he said so. That's crazy. So you're, you, uh, you said that earlier you were like, there's this piece and I don't, I can't even describe, uh, you know, and I was just like, oh, you mean 
the peace that passes understanding. And uh, that's your reality. Like your reality, we're not, we're not strugglers out here. We're on a victory lap and like on the victory lap, there's some stuff, but it doesn't change that it's a victory lap. No. And we're finna live forever. Yeah. And if we can keep that in mind, all things can be overcome. If we can keep those things like, like sun, victory lap, eternity, all things can be overcome. Financial troubles, you're immortal. <laughs> uh, financial like troubles, cancer, you're immortal. You're immortal. <laughs> like, oh, mercy. Man, you've just been preaching, bro. It's too real. Um, before we finish this thing, like, if if you could just go and and to borrow the from the from Christopher Nolan and incept, or I don't know what the term is, something into your pop's brain or into your brother's brain somebody that you care deeply for and you just want to put this, I think I know what your answer is. Just this thought in there that just starts festering and, and growing from there. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Uh, that your worth and your worth, your worth and your work need to be uncoupled because your gift, because if you, if you are worthy, if you are inherently worthy, right? Mm-hmm. Your gift the per like all right let me let me let me because i'm tired and it's late yeah you got this we only have we only have one purpose and that purpose in this time in this time right Mm -hmm. is to pass on the news that's the only purpose like when christians are like i don't know what my purpose is like help help me find my purpose like (laughs) there's only one pass on the news 100% 100% return on investment is your purpose. That's it. So if your if your purpose is one person, get 100% return on investment, right? And all that means is you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. He loves you. You have been forgiven. The debt is paid. If you die to self, you will be resurrected new and live forever. And you will be live you will live forever to do two things: love and make stuff. Right? If you can uncouple worth from work, your gifting will reach its fullest potential because your failures and your victories will not determine your value. The only thing you will get better at is getting further into places that other people cannot reach with good news. That is the whole point. So, so I mean, let's just talk about this podcast, for example, right? The failure or success of this podcast does not determine your value. So, every idea is a good idea. Soak up the knowledge and experiment because this podcast could potentially be the vehicle that can get to the one kid, that one kid that only you can reach. Because God plays chess with his kids. 
Like, and so if this is the vehicle that you were set up for, you will ride it out without fear because you're already worthy. So if I could give that to my dad, he'd be playing music right now. He'd be playing music right now. I'd be happy as a clan playing, playing music and hanging out with his grandkids without a care in the world. Like, and my brother, my brother would be speaking gospel to every patient that came through his door, never worrying for one, never worrying that he needed to prove something to anybody. It doesn't change the disposition that he was, that he's in. It just changes the reason, the point. The point is not to fix teeth. The point is to heal people, right? And the, the opportunity is right in front of him. And he's loved and he's trusted. Like, and then he gets to see a bunch of people in the kingdom. Like, that he gets to hang out with for as long as he wants. And I don't know, like, splice mangoes together for new mangoes. Like, I don't know, like, whatever you want to do. Man, what if, what if people started living like this, bro? What if? It would be awesome. (laughs) It would be awesome. It would be what? Peace on earth? Well, it's going to be me. It is me. It's you, bro. <laughs> yeah. All right, bro. Well, thanks for... Uh, yeah, man. Man, this has been... I'm going to listen to this mug. I'm going to listen to this mug again. <laughs> uh, I feel like there's so much in it. But thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Appreciate you, bro. Love you, even though it's the first time we've ever... You know, we oh, have yeah? the same spirit, bro. So thanks yeah. for coming on, man. Appreciate you. Yes. Got me singing like glory, yeah. It got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me, uh, and love is pouring on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, more than me, more than just pretend. And you can feel the freedom from within. Free to fly, be the child that you always been, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We would love it if you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories. And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a high rating. If, if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life and let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you.